Well, welcome to the Weekend Sports Cars podcast, part of the Marshall Pruitt podcast series. And with thanks, as always, to our backers, Cooper Tyres, to the Justice Brothers and to TorontoMotorsports.com. As you can probably hear, it's a slightly different uh, opening to the show. No Marshall Pruitt this week. That's because I'm sitting in a conference room at Yas Marina Circuit, overlooking Yas Marina itself. Uh, and with me are Denny Sports Cars uh, roving reporter, RJ O'Connell, and sports car racing legend, Oliver Gavin, my partner in crime on the Asian Le Mans series TV uh, cons. Uh, it gives Marshall a bit of a, 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 a week off from this. Uh, it gives us an opportunity to wash up, uh, gentlemen, for events that we've, we've seen happening in the last week. We've just moved yesterday from Dubai to the other end of the United Arab Emirates here in Abu Dhabi, the capital of the UAE, for two more races. Knits neatly into, we're going to get straight into questions. Um, question from Daniel Summerskill, and we'll thank Daniel as well, by the way, for collating these. Um, his first question just happens to be the top question in there, complete coincidence. He asks, and I'm going to ask both of you this, what are your thoughts on the weekend's Asian Le Mans series racing? Uh, racing. Uh, hashtag me personally, says Daniel, he thought the racing was as intense and exciting as anything produced by WEC, by IMSA or by the ELMS. Oli Gavin, what do you say? I say, uh, I think it was. I think that he's right. I think that it was ex- super exciting. I think it was some of the best racing that the Asian Mon Series has ever put on. Um, I think the Dubai Autodrome did a fantastic job with the two races they did, that they put on uh, both there on the Saturday and the Sunday, both four hours. Uh, but the P2 class and the level, and the level of the teams, the level of the drivers... And also the way that they all went about uh, that race there, well, both of the races, it was, it was exciting, it was gripping, it had us on the edge of our seats throughout. And also, which we really love to see, is some real emerging talent in the P2 class. Um, the likes of Kiffin Simpson, uh, Nolan Siegel, um, Ionshan Given, um, you know, all of those guys really did a fantastic job. And, but, you know, it was throughout the classes, there was really high levels, 46 cars on the grid. Yeah. You know, so, you know, all in all, I thought it was a spectacular weekend of racing. RJ, Ollie mentioned these emerging talents, but a couple of those guys you probably know more about uh, than maybe Ollie and I do. Uh, but it was interesting, wasn't it, to see some of the established order, and by which I mean the likes of Matthias Besch and uh, Ben Hanley and Neil Charney, um, going head to head with these youngsters. Uh, we know, for instance, through Twitter, that uh, none other than Chip Ganassi was watching one of his junior drivers, Kiffin Simpson. What did that add to you? This is your first time within the Asian Le Mans series. Tell us a little bit about what it was like as a bystander, albeit a bystander with a pen and a laptop. Well, I will say I was very, very surprised by the high level of competition across all of the different categories of racing because there are three different automatic entries into the centennial running of the 24 hours of the mob that are up for grabs for every class champion and that is what everybody is racing for. I'll admit I was pleasantly surprised by the racing I saw in Dubai. Yes, uh, GT right now is in a state where walking horse motorsport are the favorites to win the championship but in LMP2 and P3 I feel like it's anybody's game and plus in GT the balance of performance and the characteristics between Dubai and Abu Dhabi are so different 
this whole table could get flipped on its head immediately. Completely agree. We saw this uh, the last couple of years, our third year together here in the UAE. Yeah. I, mean, I know you've been looking forward to 10 days locked in a commentary box with me again. Amazing. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's uh, I know a highlight of you here. Um, you tell me repeatedly, and I believe it. Uh, but we did see, LJ's right, we have seen the last couple of years. Two things. One is there is no reluctance of the powers that be here to play with balance of performance as the form of the cars emerge. Right. And we saw that, in fact, twice uh, between the races yeah. um, at uh, Dubai. Uh, and certainly no reluctance to do so between Dubai and here in the UAE. Hmm. Do you expect to see another couple of changes? I do, I do. I mean, I think that the BMW executed a, a fantastic race in the second race on the Sunday there in, in Dubai. And I think they got very lucky with the safety car. Um, and so that may be again flattered them but they were still very strong they were still right there at the front on pace um, and so I think that we could well see an adjustment for the BMW I think now uh, with Mercedes with Ferrari um, Porsche was still a little way back but yeah. McLaren came forward Aston Martin were right there with a destation car but boy if they had some bad luck we'll come to that oh, in a minute but just it's unbelievable terrible, terrible week from the Aston Martin teams but you're right that the teams were in amongst it but principally with their pro drivers yes. of course yeah. of course but we did see some of the the, the bronze drivers really stepping up and, and, and moving forward and growing in their confidence you can see that they once they'd done that first race and got that you know, in the bag, let's say. And also that first race was very tricky because so much of it was in the dark due to the incident earlier on yeah. in the race, earlier on in the weekend, where the um, qualifying was, was delayed by some two hours due to a huge crash within the first what, one and a half laps of the qualifying yeah. session. Um, a terrible, terrible incident for the dynamic uh, team there. And Philip uh, Saga, who, who... He's okay. Yeah, fortunately, he's... he's, he's, he's yeah. okay. He's okay. Douglas Koo of Viper Nisa Racing has had all sorts of problems of bruises. He had the car dropped on his foot in race one, so we were all worried, would he be able to take the start in race two? He did, and then for his troubles, young Conrad Larson kind of punted him off into the wall. Yeah, I think that was... That, 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 I, we, we've not really seen what happened to that incident. We have no. had some, some reports back that... I think he, the young Dane made a mistake, was lucky to recover that mistake, made substantial contact with Douglas, probably didn't realise the consequences of that action. Mm. Uh, but it was a massive, massive, that car's done. Uh, that was, car was done on the spot, I'm told, um, you know, heavy enough rear, uh, sorry, frontal impact. Not only did it destroy the front end of the car, it destroyed the engine yeah. of that car. I mean, it, Douglas, looked spe- it looked really, really horrible. tough, really indeed. horrible, and, and almost one of those ones you don't want to watch back or no, see. indeed. I mean, Douglas got out the car, was clearly winded by it, and you know, happily report that he too is absolutely fine. It, that comes into, by the way, another question we're going to segue into from Corey at GTP Enjoyer. Do you think this amount of cars that the Asian Le Mans series will be consistent? What other tracks could host a race? That knits into, by the way, uh, questions from James Hewitt, amongst others, about what do we think a future Asian Le Mans series Canada should look like. Uh, we had this discussion, didn't we? And we had it mm. with, with more than one group of people. 48 cars, and OK, we're not going to have 48 here with, with one or two or three now retirements from the series, withdrawals from the series with damage. It's a difficult success story to ignore. Uh, but the flip side of that is 
the heritage of this series, the reason for this series, is the marketplace in Southeast Asia. But that's where COVID has given us a real kick in the backside, isn't it? LNP market effectively has died in Southeast Asia. There are one or two cars, but it's one or two. Costs have gone up. The times and the, the, uh, the certainty of logistics have gone up. I guess there's two questions. What should they do? And what would you like to see them do? Let's try that one on RJ for starters. What should they do? And is that different from what you would like to see? I think, as a fan of the sport, you know, I love the setup here. I love that everything is compact. I love that you know everything is very, very nice here. But as a, as a spectator, I want to see the series re-expand its footprint. I want to see these cars tackle events like Suzuka and Fuji and Sepang and Bourbon, terrifically underrated track. If it becomes possible logistically and financially, and I've talked to a number of the gentlemen drivers throughout this pack and say, if it is possible for us, we'd love to go back yep. and expand our footprint. Okay, but the, you mentioned a lot of the key points, and this is where Ollie... You're the motorsport professional. You've been within those teams that have got to deal with the realities, not of the enthusiasm behind it, but the financials behind yeah. it. That's the big one, isn't it? This is purely a Pro-Am Championship this year, yeah. which means, that generally speaking, one or two of the three drivers are probably paying for the whole thing. And we've heard a variety of, of, um, of opinions on this uh, to deal with the cost of taking cars to Japan, to Malaysia, and I agree with RJ. I'd love to see it back there. Uh, but is there as much of a point now to effectively transport a European grid to the other side of the planet? Yes, their enthusiasm can fuel that, but is that as practical a proposition now as it was three years ago? It's been a remarkably short time since this grid hmm. was at the Ben Motorsport Park. Can you genuinely see them being back? I mean, it's to me, um, sticking sort of my... My professional motorsport hat on uh, it's hard to ignore the the size of the grid here and the way that year on year the Asian Le Mans series what I've been involved has grown and grown and it has been with this format here in region in the Middle East yeah. and so I, I think it's, this series has really grown and expanded and really thrived during the COVID period um, to to really almost kind of by accident turn yeah. into this this amazing series where a lot of European teams can go this is like their their spring training let's yeah, say I agree where yeah. they're coming here with maybe new personnel new engineers new PR staff new drivers new cars yeah. and they can turn up at circuits where they know what the format is how it's going to be and they know that they're going to have two races Per weekend, where they're going to be able to kind of blood all those new people and personnel into racing, and because you can go testing, yeah, yeah. you can go testing in the, in the south of France or or in Spain or in the south of Italy, and you can run around for days on end. Yeah, but nothing, nothing is quite like racing, and um, that's that's really a critical and key thing. And we saw it a number of times in Dubai, where where teams cars were coming on pit lane, people weren't ready. Yep. The pressure of performing under race conditions, it really is another thing and it just brings something else out. And you see the people who really respond and you see the people who really do need that little bit of extra time. 
And that's what this series does. And the other thing it does is it gives you the opportunity to learn those lessons almost in real time, which means if you make that mistake on pit lane and you can see where you've lost two, three, five, ten seconds. Absolutely. You get the opportunity to fix that the following day, Yeah, which is amazing. Uh, the other thing that's important to say as well is we, we refer to the fact there's a lot of gentleman drivers that are funding this. They can get a worthwhile pre-season test and still try to win something with a limited... And, and what is that prize that they... The, the, the Le Mans. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to Le Mans. I, I apologise to our regular listeners. I know I, I go on to a boring extent about this. It's the centenary of Le Mans this year. You know, we're at the stage where I'm getting multiple, multiple messages, emails, calls a week not just from teams wanting to get there, but from fans wanting to get there. Yeah, it's, it's extraordinary. It's mm. uh, so we've got three teams here who will get the opportunity. But the point here is this. If you are a, and you would have to be, successful businessman, businesswoman, um, to, to afford program racing, you're effectively taking your winter break, which a lot of people get, racing. You, you're yeah. able to do this mm-hmm. season in 10 days. If they wanted to turn up uh, last Thursday and go home on a midnight flight on Sunday, yeah. they can do that. Yep. They can be back in the office on Monday morning if that's what they need to do. And I think that's really, really the hard thing to ignore in all of this. This we've kind of stumbled across uh, across this concept. You know, two three years ago when we started talking about this, and uh, you know, I, I was first being introduced into it and how it was going to work with COVID and everything else. And it was it was like, well, we're not sure how it's really going to be and how it's going to work. And now it's grown, and we've got. 48 cars on the grid in Dubai. We're going to have, what, 45 on the, on, cars on the grid here in, in Yas Marina. And it is phenomenal to see that many cars in multiple classes with such a range in talent. I mean, and there's many a driver here that even your good self, Graham, has been there studying, trying to this get, get to the bottom yeah, of, of, of their guy? racing history, which I think is fantastic. Blood yeah. new people into the sport, new drivers, new, new crew, new people. And... and I think that that really is hard to ignore. It yeah. really is. It's an exciting time for our part of the sport in that there are massive new opportunities. And we're seeing that with teams, and in particular with drivers, seeing that opportunity to be part of something bigger. I mean, you you know, you came into sports car racing as a young driver, having come up through the single-seater field. It, it, it's almost like a resetting of the clock. But with bigger opportunities now, I mean, and if, you know, if, if you were, I know you're not, involved in the management side of motorsport, you surely would be guiding some of those young talents in this direction. Absolutely. I mean, you, you sort of look at the likes of Nolan Seagull and Christian Bogle, yep. who, who are both racing at a good level yep. in single-seaters in the United States. And it's almost like they've come here, and you can see, you can see it on Nolan's face when he got out of the car at the end of the race on Saturday. I that, could not tell that this is his first season in IndyNet's coming up this year. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and that's that's the thing. You know, the, the, the smile on his face, oh, the engagement. Yeah. He was absolutely loving it, and he just took to it like he'd been doing it all of his life. You know? One of the other key things, and you'll 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 have a view on this, is. Relaxed on camera, yeah, which very. is really important. And what's um, one of the things that you that you learn when you're a young driver coming in is 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 the amount that you drive and the amount that you're out on track and you're competing. 
Because all the racing that you might have done beforehand, you know, the races are maybe 20 minutes, 25 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever, 45 minutes, you're in the car for multiple stints. Yeah. And you can be in the car for an hour and a half, two hours. I mean, it's really, and that is, it's such a massive download of information and you're trying to absorb it all and take it all on board. As a driver, you're, 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 you're soaking it up like a sponge and then the fantastic opportunity this series gives you to then the very next day come back and compete in another four-hour race and learn from all of those experiences you've had the night before, for me, that is fantastic. Yeah, I agree. You, know, you mentioned Christian Bogle, Archie. He didn't have the easiest of races in race one, got in the car at a really horrible time for your debut in racing, just as the sun was going down. They, none of the teams were expecting to race that long in the dark. He struggled, it's fair to say there, but he turned it around, didn't he, the, uh, on the Sunday race? He did. He turned around and raced two against a certain driver with recent Formula One experience, and you would never think that those drivers would be on the same level, especially after you watch race one, but full marks of Chris and Bogle for turning this around. He, he had a tough time in Indy Nets last year as well, but that, that's just building confidence for him. And Kiffin Simpson, race one. My goodness, what a star. I mean, and he did, Kiffin Simpson. Yeah. I, pretty, I, I think he pretty much won the race for the 25 car on the, on the Saturday race. Yeah. I mean, his performance, at times he was three to four seconds a lap faster than anyone else. And when you're seeing that, you know, that's... Uh, and you've got four winner one and WEC yeah. and a mom winning talent out there. Exactly. And, and, and so... You know, what would, I was really hoping that we were going to be able to have, and maybe we're going to get that here this weekend in Yas Marina. We're going to get Kiffin Simpson, Ayunchen Gibbon, Nolan Seagull, and Multi Jakobsen yep. all out there together, maybe with an Ollie Jarvis and a Paul DeResta. Yeah. And all six of those guys going toe to toe, wheel to wheel. I mean, wouldn't that be amazing uh, to watch? That would be, if we get that for the final race for the championship, for an entry to Le Mans. Brilliant. And it, that would be the dream scenario. Um, and we came closer to it in race two. There, there fewer people had fewer problems. Uh, United Autosports changed their strategy. I think it's fair to say they would they would happily tell you, as would the two drivers. Yeah, they're, I think United... The two, two bronze drivers are amongst the least experienced in the, in the class. Yeah, I think United might have been uh, caught out a little bit with uh, the safety car and the positioning on track and the way all that worked, particularly with what's happening with the 24 car as well, the Nielsen car, because yep. they had to come in for that emergency stop. And all of those things really adds into the melting pot of how you have to work the strategy with these four hours, with the drivers, with, with, with the time stops that you have yep. to do. I mean, it, it, I think it's fascinating to watch. It's kind of hard for us to keep up yeah, with yeah, it in, yeah. the, in, in the studio, but I mean, it adds just another dynamic. And uh, I, I, I thought both races were spectacular. And now we just, we spent, what, the last 15 minutes talking about P2. And you, we've not, <laughs> There's we've, two other classes exactly, in Exactly. And, and 20 plus cars in, in a stellar GT3 class, which we had some amazing racing, albeit behind the rather dominant BMW. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I bow to the absolute talent making the cat Catsburg. Um, and we'll explain why it's called the cat repeatedly until it sticks. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there was some great racing behind that. We should move on because we, we, we're restricted in time here before the senior management of the Asian Monsters, the ACO, need this room. Um, let's move on to a couple of other questions. And I'm going to give you a couple of general questions. I'm going to bring you in, though, Ollie, on one of them, which is to do with one of the stories we got at Daytona, which was the unveiling of a hugely 
import new race car. Uh, it's uh, you've heard of them, Corvette. Um, <laughs> the, the I gather you call incorrectly uh, on your side of the pond the Z06, but since it's an American car, we'll call it the Z06, not the Z06. It should be called GT3.1. <laughs> but the question really here uh, comes from Lance Snyder. Um, Ollie, does it sound odd to hear customer racing and Corvette in the same sentence? And how much is it going to be a challenge to? everybody behind that program that you know so well to design a car not around the otherworldly talent that you and your colleagues at Corvette Racing because you are indeed a sports car racing legend uh, have um, or just as he says any old schmo that's slightly you know what I mean but it is a different thing generally speaking a GT3 car he's quite right is designed around making it as easy as possible to adapt for someone with less than professional skill levels. No, no doubt. And and this is something that um, everybody at GM Racing and Corvette Racing and Pratt and Miller um, have really been extremely focused on over the last number of years. And I think they've done a spectacular job. I think that the car looks amazing. Uh, and I know that, uh, that they are now working through a process of... Uh, trying to decide where those first cars are going to go and decide on you know who's going to be running what in, in, in which championship. Um, and then as they go through 2024 and then into 2025, I think there are going to be more cars that come through and on, onto the grid. But yes, it is odd to hear them um, talking about customer racing, but I think it's fantastic. And it's something that I know they've been looking at for a number of years and it's, it's something that they are embracing. Um, there are challenges, no doubt. Um, and the mindset of, of, of just running a pro team in IMSA, two cars, which then each year you then run at Le Mans as a two-car entry, that was done year after year after year. And I, I drove for the team for, for 20 years, and that was pretty much the process that we went through each year. You've been to them. Oh, well, just once or twice, and and the um, it, so to have that ingrained for that amount of time, and then switch over to to having a customer program, it is going to take a, some adjustment yeah. and 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 some some change in approach, which Laura and and Christy and 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 others there at GM Racing are really working through. And doing a fine job in, 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 in doing that, as well as the, the guys at Corvette Racing and Pratt and Miller. And it must be, it must be you know, for, for you, beyond the professional level, you're still a massive enthusiast of the sport. And, you know, I, can, I can sense your excitement in getting this exciting new platform into GT3 racing and into this pro-am format, as well as a pro format, of course, yeah, in yeah. IMSA. Yeah. Talking, of course, about the Ford Mustang. Uh, I know that's uh, that that's, <laughs> but oh, yeah. but putting aside that that part of it, the GTD Pro battle to come in IMSA, yeah, with we know two cars for Corvette and we know two cars for Ford, two with the big three, traditional big three, mm. plus everybody else into the mix and with new machinery already. Uh, on track for a number of the manufacturers, and at least one more to come with Toyota's Toyota slash Lexus. Hmm. We'll wait tell us, uh, for them to tell us what they're going to be doing with it. GTD Pro, what do we think? Is that going to mature in 2024? I really hope so. I really hope it does. I mean, I, I think 
pro racing with GT3 cars, I think is something special. I think that, that yes, of course, we've got GTP hypercar now, uh, which ACO Rules Racing, they're looking to, to be that, to be the top pro racing class. And if you're gonna go pro racing with a factory operation, that's where it seems they want you to go. But I think that, that GT3 racing machinery and pro racing, so GTD Pro in the US, in IMSA, on all those fantastic US tracks, which I spent so many years racing on, uh, that uh, it, it, it is my mouthwatering. It's really yeah. something special. And it's something that I think all the teams who are in GTD Pro will relish. And you know, you, 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 know you can look at the, the driver lineups and the rosters and whether that is with Ferrari or Porsche or with Mercedes or with Lexus or with Corvette, and they all want to race one against one another. They yeah. all want to compete in the, with the pro teams, the very highest uh, group of people, uh, qualified people, skilled people, um, to, to to really go toe to toe with the very best strategy, the best setups on the car, and you know, it, no doubt, it's something very very special. But I think what's also really exciting, and what I'm genuinely excited about as well, is is for people that that am that bronze driver being able to also get their hands on the same machinery yeah. and race in, in GTD yeah. or a race race in the WEC and at Le Mans in that same machinery. I think that is very special. That's one exciting prospect. I'm going to turn to RJ to ask his first thoughts on another story that emerged from the Rolex 24. And that, of course, is the development of the NASCAR Garage 56 Corvette ZL1. Um, the uh, Camaro. I keep saying Corvette because it's so, it just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. It's the Camaro, of course. Um, should have remembered that from the, the film we did here last year with the Camaro pace cars we've got here. Okay. RJ, the, the question comes here, um, I'm just checking from where it came, uh, it comes from Ben Gooding. And he, he asks this question, if it had been a paddock rumour that Jensen Button, Formula One world champion, multiple NASCAR champion Jimmy Johnson and Le Mans winner Mike Rockefeller were going to drive a NASCAR at Le Mans, would you have believed it? And would you like to see more left field entries like this so first and foremost you met all three uh, at Le Mans you were on duty with us for your first Rolex 24 and you'll be reading by the way more about that adventure on DSC um, in, in the coming weeks and months tell us a little bit about your reaction to that announcement I'll tell you how I was feeling when you first told me that this was going to happen in advance of the announcement. I was just like, I'm going to say nothing. I'm going to wait for everybody to react when Jensen Button walks into that room as the big surprise reveal. Not any of the star current NASCAR Cup Series drivers like uh, Chase Elliott and Kyle Larson have been floated around. But Jensen Button, yeah, he's never driven a stock car. He has driven super silhouette racing cars. He is a GT500 champion in the fastest form of racing in the world. And... He's sports car racing in the world, and he's going to do... I think he's really excited about this task. And you pair that with Mike Rockefeller, a Le Mans winner, and Jimmy Johnson, one of only three humans that have ever won seven NASCAR Cup Series titles in a car that looks, sounds as cool as it is. From what I've heard in testing, ooh, it's going to be really interesting. Uh, I think it's... I th- it, it, <laughs> look, what is it? It's as emblematic of the, the links between IMSA and uh, the ACO that we all hope 
will continue to be cordial and produce good results. They're not as adversarial as you think, people. No, they're not. Um, you know, there's a lot of nonsense spoken about that. After all the rivalries, of course, there are, but they, they are genuinely working hard to make these things work together. It went into testing at uh, Daytona uh, a couple of days after the Rolex 3.4, tested back to, back to back, actually, with the new Corvette, passed it on track, I gather, a couple of times, which is <laughs> impressive in itself. But, um, Ollie, again, with your Chevy hat on, yeah, this is a big deal. It's it is. A, it's, yeah. I think it's a bigger deal than most people think. No, it is, it, is a, it is a massive deal. And when you start talking with people within GM Racing about this, they get really excited. So I think that it's something that not only NASCAR are putting a lot of emphasis on, a lot of weight behind, but GM as well. Uh, and, and, and of course Chevrolet and I think it's super exciting to have Jensen Button Jimmy Johnson and Mike Rockefeller oh, yeah. who is an ex-teammate of mine and he's a super guy one of the nicest guys in the paddock and, and I've got a lot of time for Mike I mean he's worked really hard with that group and that speaks highly of you as well well yeah, of course um, and, and uh, you know he's, he's just a, a, a super chap and massively knowledgeable um, he has really turned his hand and he, you know, he hasn't he, he hasn't shied away from sort of switching it up here and moving away from a little bit of the sports car world and sort of trying to blend the two of the NASCAR world and the sports car world together. And he's sort of meeting somewhere in the middle. And um, oh, he's 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 a very big part of that operation now and and that program. And I I really hope that they do well. I hope it is something that. It just adds another dimension to the race. And, I mean, the noise, oh, the, the sound look, is going to be I spectacular. Mean, for me, for me it, it covers so many different bases. Uh, the, the, for, we've got a real opportunity at the moment, a whole range of, of motorsports, to put aside nonsense rivalries and draw new enthusiasm in. If this brings attention from NASCAR fans to Le Mans, that yeah. can only be a good thing. If it brings attention from Le Mans fans to NASCAR, that can only be a good thing. Mm -hmm. You know what? The space for absolutely everybody. So well done to actually everybody from Chevy, from Goodyear involved in this one. John Doonan, who is the programme director here, and, uh, yeah. and the, the guys at Hendrick Motorsport and all of those guys, it certainly was a news story that went like a mini tsunami uh, through the, the paddock once Jensen you know, was recognised as actually being there. So can't wait to see how that actually all pans out with driver changes that will be made through the window, yeah. um, you know, as they would be in a, in a regular stock car. The first time I can remember, probably since the last time stock cars were there, we could have headlights on a NASCAR. Yeah, <laughs> and, and their, their driver coach. Do you know who their driver coach is? Jordan Taylor. Coach Taylor. That's that's. He even turned up at the test. I saw the coach with, the t with, the, with that t-shirt. <laughs> coach. I think we're going to see some pretty special social media. Yeah. In that regard. Jordan is is spectacular at that, and he he never shies away from um, you know the creative juices get uh, flowing. As for the left field entries, the the economies of scale, of course, come into play here. But yes, I also think if this is a breakthrough. Program not in terms of the performance of the car, we wait and see, but in terms of the impact that makes. I hope other people do watch. I hope other yeah. people do watch and see there are opportunities here to get attention and to do things that are just a little bit left field and to gather that enthusiasm. It may not be about just winning the race, but the taking part and the opportunities that that, that offers. We've said it before. I go back probably to the program that Zach Brown put together for Fernando Alonso as being a breakthrough moment to start to prick that bubble 
and it really was a bubble, that you can do something other than be a sports car driver or be a Formula One driver or yeah. be an IndyCar driver. And mm-hmm. um, we're seeing, I think, more and more and more people seeing those opportunities and enjoying them. Yeah. You know, yeah, and, and I think if they're, if they're in, a, in a place that they can explain how much they're enjoying them and why, there's no bad thing there. We're going to finish up by running through just one or two more of the questions, and I'll take those guys as we're running out of time. At some point, a French guy is going to knock on this door. Uh, some questions about a couple of the hypercar programs. One question about uh, the balance performance, and is it too prescriptive about things like stint lengths? For the technical side, I'm going to wait till we've got MP back uh, on the pod in the next week or two. Yes, there is a searingly complex set of regulations around virtual fuel tank, etc. But quick one for you, Ollie. Did that spoil the race at the end of Daytona? No, absolutely not. I thought it was, again, it was, it was something spectacular. You, you, of course, they're sitting there and they've got to think about how they're using their energy. And there was a couple of little warnings there. I think the Acura had towards the end and uh, it, was, it was overusing. Um, but I think that it's another element and another thing that, that adds to the d- dynamic in, in the top class. And I, and I think that it's something that, that the new cars look fantastic. I think they race well. They, they do race well. Um, and I'm... I'm super excited for, for a, very, a really spectacular IMSA season, but then once the, the WEC season starts and, and we get that to Le Mans, yeah. I think that that's going to be really something else. And I think that we are going to see certain cars performing differently under different conditions and different racetracks. Because no doubt, no doubt, the, the big one that all these manufacturers are aiming for is Le Mans. Yep. That's the one that carries the most kudos most the, the most weight and there will be I'm sure many a manufacturer keeping their powder dry just for that yeah. Ryan Turps chimes in with something on that is, is effectively what level of confidence we've got about the BOP between the GTP cars the hyper cars with the LMH cars coming in for work I think the answer there Ryan is there was no shortage of of the ACO tech guys at Daytona, they'll have been learning, they'll have been getting the data. There's, a, there's an open exchange of data between the two bodies. I think we've just got to give them a chance here. Uh, they'll have got access to the data of the team's testing, including Ferrari's recent tests at, at Sebring. Let's, a bit of hashtag wait and see with that one. IMSA has shown that they can do what they've got, at Daytona at least. Now let's uh, allow the ACO guys uh, a bit of breathing space to get on with what is a seriously difficult task. And let's not pick holes in that task. Let's give them time for this thing to mature. No doubt. The, the important thing is this beds in through this season that's coming and before them on to get to the stage where this thing can mature moving forward with even more cars to come. Moving on further and just answering a couple more before we run out of time here. Uh, questions about uh, from Gustavo Bamba who was asking about uh, progress of Vesotto Fraschini any chance of selected rounds in 23 before full season in 24 I think there is um, I think there is going to be uh, the opportunity to add a car for a couple of races at the very least uh, there's some, some details emerging on a couple of other programmes that might offer that opportunity I think there's a question still about what happens with the fan wall entry. We may find something out about that. that We're going to have to find out pretty soon as to whether or not that car is going to be allowed to to race with the ongoing issues to do with uh, trademarking of the fan wall name. Whether or not that's something that Colin and others like me saying or writing or others saying or writing 
it's immaterial. It is definitely an open question. And my understanding is there are meetings imminent to discuss that. Uh, so that's going to be interesting to see where it goes. Do I think Isotta will find themselves with an opportunity to race? I sincerely hope so. It's clearly a serious programme. And by the way, I love the fact that they're being open with the progress of the build of that car at Michelotto. It clearly is the real deal. Um, can't wait to see whether or not they can transfer those lessons on track. Anything here to finish? A uh, quick question from Sam Blunden. Can you see Phil Hansen driving an LMHL and DH the next couple of years? We saw um, uh, Phil in the uh, reception area of the hotel here. He'd love to be. He's got the goods. He's got the goods. It's a matter of where is the programme. Uh, there are probably 30 drivers here that would love that opportunity. He certainly does have the talent. Um, we've got a new hashtag, which thank you, you've introduced into. <laughs> Uh, which is hashtag tear off if you want to see what that's love, all about. Love a tear off. Every driver does. <laughs> uh, ask quickly, we'll wrap it up with this, by the way, which is hopefully you've had a chance to grab a nice relaxing tear off. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> one GTP driver that you'd like to see at the bond this year at the moment doesn't have the immediate prospect to a drive. I'm going to take out of that, by the way. Uh, no, no, let's put in there the, the Cadillacs uh, to see whether or not uh, they might be. Uh, part of that one driver one driver golly I'm trying to think now you've really put me on the spot RJ there is one driver who immediately leaps off the page Tom Blomquist was sensational at Daytona you don't need to tell me some idiot with pink hair to tell me tell you about it but Blomquist is fantastic he did do a fine job I have to say yep let's go with Tom Blomquist we're going to wrap it there uh, before someone wraps on the door and tells us who we've got to um, thank you so much to RJ O'Connell from Delhi Sports Car, to Oliver Gavin, sports car racing legend, um, and from me, Graham Goodwin. Th thanks again to Daniel Summerskill for putting these questions together. And thanks so much, everybody, for putting in such a variety of questions at late notice here. Uh, thanks, of course, again to Cooper Tyres, to the Justice Brothers, and to TorontoMotorsports.com for their continued backing. This has been the Week in Sports Cars, uh, part of the Marshall Proof podcast. From Yas Marina, literally Yas Marina. I don't mean we're in the water, but we're overlooking at the moment. We will be back with you. That will be MP and I next week. 